0: When I was very young in my own personal spiritual journey, uh, I was my early, early 20s, and um, I was, I was uh, very fortunate to have a pastor who cared a lot and spent time with people on a regular basis. So he would often call me up out of the blue and invite me to uh, have a coffee or have a meal, or, and, I, and I appreciated that so much because I was always so filled with all kinds of questions. There was one particular week he had had called and said, hey, come come hang out, we'll go and uh, have a coffee. And it was a perfect timing for me because my week had been incredibly difficult, like really, really difficult. I was filled (coughs) with all kinds of frustration. I was uh, short-tempered. I was just extra frustrated. So I said, okay, perfect. On top of that, I had been praying, I felt like I had been praying a lot, like more than I had ever prayed before. Every day, I was all fired, I was just praying, God, 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 like, I need your help, I need your help. And uh, I sat down with this pastor and he said, uh, you know, just, hey, tell me what's going on. And then for the next f- uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, I just, I just vented, right? You ever have those conversations where you're just, they're not really, it's not a conversation, it's a venting session where you're just like, "Mm-hmm." I hear, it. yeah, people know that. Uh, so he was so gracious because every few minutes he would nod and this mm hmm yeah okay and like yeah oh oh wow okay like the appropriate times he would then also you know just just resp- like he was listening to what I was saying. And I said and 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 I've been praying like crazy like these two prayers I've been praying over and over again and it's just like so frustrating because it's like it's like my traffic the traffic seems to be even worse when I drive and people are just worse <laughs> drivers and the long the lines in the in the supermarket are just so long now and just frustrating. And, and, and in my work, it's, it's even more frustrating because I, the work I'm doing, I'm not getting the recognition that I feel I deserve. And so I was just going on and on and on. And he said, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, good. It's just so kind and pastoral and loving. And I was all good. And he said, Quincy, what, what kind of prayers have you been praying? Just, just curious. I said, well, I said, there's been two, two prayers mainly. One is, God, give me more patience. And the other one was, God, help me to be more humble. And he started laughing, like, like, like a big belly laugh, like, like to a level that was una- like so inappropriate for how I was feeling in the moment. Like he was just like head back, laughing, laughing. And I'm like, I'm burying my soul. I'm so frustrated, like what? what do you mean? And he said, he said, Quincy, how do you expect God to answer that prayer for you? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, do you think that one day you will wake up and be a more patient person? you think that one day because you pray that you will somehow just miraculously become more humble or do you think that God may be providing more and more opportunities for you to actually stretch that build that muscle of patience build that muscle of humility and I did not like that answer (laughs) but it made total sense to me I understood ah yes God I think in in a in a real way was answering my prayer for patience and for humility by presenting me with opportunities to be more patient and to be more humble. And it was a really important lesson that I learned. And now uh, fast forward a number of years we're here and, and our church, The Meeting House, there have been people that have been praying on a regular basis that we would be the kind of church that embraces peace. That, that's a church that embraces this idea of reconciliation, that's such a big, important part of who we are, our distinctives of, as an Anabaptist. We've been praying that on a regular basis. And then, and then there are days when I look around and I think, my word, God, are you answering our prayer? <laughs> are you giving us more and more opportunities to actually be a kind of people that are, are, are about reconciliation, about peace? And I don't like that answer. But understand that there's, a, there's an opportunity for us to engage in what God has for us. Um, this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about peace and reconciliation. And I thought, who better than to have a, um, a peace practitioner? Um, some of you will know Samuel and his background well. He's, he's been all over the world, um, helping people learn how to live peaceful and and lives filled with reconciliation, you had that hard stint in Hawaii. I remember you telling me about when God called you to that suffering for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus. <laughs> but then also in places like uh, like Nigeria, you've been most recently South Africa, doing some work in uh, in truth and reconciliation. You've done a tremendous amount of work, even in in Chicago, with the police department and some of the uh, the communities that are there. So you you know what it takes. You know that. It's not a a magic pill that you just say a quick prayer and then all of a sudden there's peace and harmony that requires a lot of work. So I would love to uh, invite you this morning to just share a little bit of what are some of the things, what are some of the ingredients to reconciliation because we we need so much help. There's so much work to be done. There's so many instances of broken relationships even in our midst, within our church, within our own personal lives we need help getting it. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the, the things that we've got coming up, some of the practical mm-hmm. tools and workshops that we've got right around the corner. Can you share a
1: little? Some- yes, we have a couple of workshops that we've been, we're offering, uh, I'll start with taste and see. Practicing peacemaking. This is going to be live here in Oakville, and it is not by Zoom, it is in person and we will be starting at the end of October. This is a place where you are able to begin to learn how to exercise that muscle. And I say taste and see because it is kind of, you taste it, then we launch you into a longer peaceful practice session that we have that runs for about eight to nine weeks. So the taste and see, if you are wondering, is this for me, is this peace deal for me? I think if you taste it, you'll realize oh, there's something juicy here. So there's an invitation for you to participate. That's great. I think one thing that, we're,
0: that I'm learning in this, in this journey is that it requires practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't come from attending one workshop or reading one book, but actually being in conflict and engaging in a way that's, that's wanting to be healing, right? That's wanting to be restorative. Um, we also have a couple courses that are coming that start. Uh, the first one will, is uh, S- September 20th. And uh, it's a 13-week course that meets on Wednesday nights. And it's uh, for uh, divorce care. People who have, have uh, come to the end of a relationship, either they're divorced or they're separated. <coughs> and we just want to have an opportunity uh, to be in a place of people who are experiencing something similar to you and to work through uh, a time of healing and reconciliation. So that's coming up. You can sign up on our website. Uh, that's starting on the, uh, on the 20th of September. And then uh, October 16th we also have a marriage course that will be lasting for seven weeks. Um, it's funny, when I, I spend time with, uh, with Samuel and he tells me about the places that he's been all over the world and uh, dealing with uh, Boko Haram, like um, Islamic terrorists in, uh, in Western Africa and all the work that he does, and I think, my goodness, I need help in my own home. Like, I don't know about that, but, and I'm not calling my wife a terrorist by any stress of the imagination. That's not what I'm saying. But but I I, I realize that, like, in our own relationships is where we need it the most, right? Mm-hmm. The people that we're most closest to, we need that help in reconciling our relationships. So so the marriage course, I, I
1: it's not... It's uh, starting on the 16th of October? Yes, and it's for seven weeks. Uh, it is, you don't go to the, this marriage course because you're having a conflict. Actually, it's a great place to tune up your relationships, uh, a great place to connect with other couples to do life. It is going to be on, uh, cross-regional, so it's going to be on, uh, online, but you get to journey with other couples that are in this journey. You know, the greatest thing that I've found as I journey with following Jesus is doing life with other believers. And when we do life together, it helps us to build muscles that when conflict arises as a result of life, because conflict is just part of life, we're able to navigate it by doing life with other people. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: You started with that food analogy, the taste and see, and it's got me thinking. So now I'm gonna ask you for some some ingredients if you can help us if you if you chef it up here this morning and just give us some some key ingredients for reconciliation. Oh
1: thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So last week we heard a clear call to come follow me, Jesus. My family have a tradition. Uh, we come to church every Sunday, and part of the tradition is uh, when we drive back home, you know, when you sit across the table and you ask a teenager what they learn in church, it is difficult. But I've learned that one of the greatest ways to get a conversation going is the tradition which was formed as a result of Sunday after Sunday practicing it. Is I asked the question, so what did you learn in church today? And one of my teenage daughters said, come, follow me, Jesus. I said, what did you learn in church today? Come, follow me, Jesus. I go, is that it? She said, yeah. Jimmy repeated it, or the quote repeated it, three or four times. So I said, at least you are paying attention to the quotation. What else did you learn? She said, come, follow me, Jesus. So this morning, Jesus invites us to not only be on a journey to come follow him, but he invites us and entrusts us with a ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, and I'll read from verse 16, it says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's Christ ambassador, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As Anabaptists, reconciliation is at the center of our faith and practice. And so that means we take this passage in 2 Corinthians seriously. We don't just talk about it. We put one foot in front of the other to practice what it really means. Because the first is when we recognize that we have been invited by Christ... And he first reached out to us to reconcile us to him. And then he turns around and says, okay, I now count on you and you and all of us in this room to become the same ambassadors of reconciliation as though Christ is appealing, making his appeal to the broken and the lost world through us. That's big. But guess what? It is possible. And what makes it possible is because Christ knows that since you have surrendered to him, since we have come to that realization that he bore our sins on the cross and everything is paid. And now that we know that and he said, go and be my ambassadors of reconciliation because reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. I know it is easier to say. It is easier said than done. I can sit, sit here and pontificate about, oh, we are ambassadors of reconciliation. I don't want you by any chance to think that I look at reconciliation as something that it's a, it's a cakewalk or a walk in the park. But reconciliation is challenging and it is messy. It is not fun, but it is doable. Some of you may be saying, oh, Samuel, are you saying I need to be reconciled with X? Did you know how much this X has done to me? Whatever, Whoever X feels into that position. I am not saying it, but the scripture and Jesus is saying, I have entrusted you with such a ministry to do the work of reconciliation. When we work towards reconciliation, what we are doing is we are exhibiting and demonstrating that Christ lives in us. And so every broken relationship is being restored. There is a restoration of broken relationship. When we do the work of reconciliation, we see peace being made as a result of just our willingness to submit and surrender to Jesus. When we do the work of reconciliation, we see societies and communities transformed, not by our power, but by the power of God working in and through us. John Paul Lederach describes reconciliation in his book, Uh, The title of the book is The Moral Imagination. He describes reconciliation as the capacity to recognize turning points and possibilities to venture down unknown paths and create what does not yet exist. And I'll repeat this quote again. Yes as the capacity to recognize turning points and possibilities to venture down a, an unknown path and create what does not yet exist. It's a call to imagine. It's an imagination through the eyes of faith to say, God, where are you? God, how can I find you in and through this challenging or through this treacherous times? Because God is always in the business Of counting on men and women that are willing. The moral imagination gives us the capacity to imagine and generate constructive uh, uh, peace, constructive ability to be able to overcome the daily grind of life. The moral imagination opens our eyes to possibilities of what seem impossible. In my work, be it with the police department in the Chicagoland or with the Nigerian uh, 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 military in terms of dealing with radical radical Islamist jihadists, or dealing with just a daily grind, church-related conflict. One thing that I have come to acknowledge is that you have to be willing to say, God, open my eyes that I may see what doesn't seem possible. In my personal approach, it might seem impossible, but God, give me the eye to see what is possible only through you, because God will always show up. We live in a messy world filled with messy relationships and the church exists in this messy world and the reason why we exist is that we can be reconciled to one another and to God so that the world can be able to look at us and say if this is what the church is or if this is what followers of Jesus do I want to be a follower of Jesus. However, reconciliation doesn't just magically happen. It involves a lot of work. It involves first acknowledging, yes, you are willing to, to step into unknown territories. Yes, I am willing to step into the unknown. Yes, I am willing to step into the things that God is calling me that might seem difficult, but I will try it, trusting that God is always at work. Because I, human nature, my human nature, <clears throat> Will want to stop me from taking, venturing into that, venturing into that steps or posture of reconciliation because the me can stand in the way. But if we surrender to God and say, okay, God, not my ways, but let your will be done, you will be amazed at the kinds of things that God can do through you. So just as we read from a few verses in 2 Corinthians, we are admonished to regard no one from a worldly point of view. We are encouraged to strongly look beyond that. So I will take you through the main text of our passage this morning is from the story of Esau and Jacob. The story of Esau and Jacob is a messy story. It is a story that has some ingredients that we will unpack unpack this story for us so that we can look at the ingredients that is in this story and say, what are some ingredients that we can find from the story of Esau and Jacob that we can be able to apply in our context today? But before I get into the Isaac's family drama, I, I tell you, when I look at Isaac's family, I go, man, that's a whole drama going out there. Because first of all, Isaac, from the time that Isaac married Rebekah, I'm not going to to go go into all of the the whole uh, narrative of that, but from the time they conceived, the twins that Rebekah was carrying were already fighting in the womb. Can you imagine? Two unborn babies already tussling. And Rebekah had an encounter with God. And in that encounter, God told (coughs) Rebekah, That she is carrying two warring nations in her. And the younger, the the older will serve the younger. And all of a sudden, all throughout the journey of up till the time Esau and Jacob were born, Jacob began to constantly connive. You remember in the story, which I'm not going to, I'll only refer you to it. You read in Genesis 29, uh, Jacob tricked his brother because he saw a gap and ripped the brother off of his birthright and say, I will give you a bowl of soup. Promise me your birthright. So, you know, in that scenario, you might think, oh, that's easy because it's just two, two siblings. <clears throat> Fast forward towards the end of, their li- towards the end of Jake, uh, Isaac's life when he was about to give his part in blessings. And when, so Jacob, heard it and his mother quickly prepared him and he ripped his brother of his birthright by receiving the blessings from Isaac. You can see the division that has been caused over years. Probably as these two siblings were growing up, they, the rivalry had always been there. But in Genesis 35, Uh, Genesis, excuse me, let me go back to my notes here. In Genesis 29, you can imagine the kind of conflict and Jacob the trickster left after he got the blessing. So Genesis chapter 33, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servant and their children in front. Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children, who are this with you, is he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached, bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel and they too bowed down. I'll jump to the last three verses. So, verse 14. So let my Lord go ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So I will attempt to unpack for us the ingredients that are found, That five ingredients found in the story between Esau and Jacob. Uh, The ingredients for reconciliation, which is trust, humility, generosity, forgiveness, and, and communication. These ingredients are crucial if a meaningful reconciliation is to take place. Because when a trust has been broken, Whenever a trust in a relationship has been broken, if you remember the story of Esau and Jacob, the story of, in this story, it has taken about two decades, 20 years, between the time that Esau, Jacob, left. And so for 20 years, these two brothers have not even had a conversation. But so in order for reconciliation to happen, that trust that has been broken needs to be rebuilt. And we can see that the two brothers, even after 20 years of not talking to each other, they decide, Jacob decided to go back. I don't know, I I am not going to, to go into all of the detail of how he arrived of going back, but somehow he realized within himself that it is about time to mend the broken relationship with my brother. And oftentimes, when we come to that point of knowing that it is about time to mend a broken relationship, to mend the trust that has been broken, the most difficult thing for us as humans is to take that first step. When we take that first step, God will give us the strength, the grace, and the ability to take the second step. What are some broken relationships that might make it difficult to rebuild trust? If you think about it right now. And this is rhetorical, I'm not asking for an answer. Is it with friends? Is it with family? Is it co-workers? Is it leadership? I believe that God's grace can help us if only we can allow that to happen. The second is humility. In Genesis 33, we see Jacob took the additional step of bowing to his brother. Jacob, that was so arrogant of making sure he stole his brother's inheritance, here is the same Jacob bowing down before his brother and kissing his feet. Can you imagine if you go to somebody that have wronged you or you have wronged and bow down and ask them for forgiveness in humility? Can you imagine what can happen? there is an invitation for the church to model what true reconciliation is. True reconciliation requires humble attitude in the paths of everyone in this brokenness. True reconciliation calls us to all be humble because when we surrender ourselves in humility, it breaks every barrier. The third is generosity generosity is the flip side of the coin of, uh, of trust. When people are seeking reconciliation, and if I'm willing and genuinely willing to give of myself, give of my resource, you can see that it's almost like Jacob was trying to do a restitution here. He knew he had stolen from his brother, but all of a sudden here he is sending gifts upon gifts upon gifts to his brother as a way of reconciling. So he's being generous with what he has. The fourth ingredient of reconciliation is forgive, forgiveness. Jacob genuinely wanted his brother's forgiveness. And you can see, why am I saying this? In, in Genesis 32 verse 20, and it appears that Esau as well was willing to forgive his brother. Because when Jacob went to him, Esau came running, hugging him and kissing him. And the last ingredients, ingredient of uh, is communication. You can see from this story, in their reconciliation, Jacob and Esau talked to each other more than they ever did as younger siblings, based on the account here. Because here they are having this interaction going back and forth. Why did you send these gifts, Jacob? Oh, I send it because God has blessed me. And even when... Uh, Esau said, okay, then let let me make sure I keep some of my men to protect you, to care for you. Jacob and Esau had this interesting communication going back and forth because communication then becomes the bridge to which you land on the same page because Jesus invites us friends that the story of Esau and Jacob is not just a story that we read and we say, oh, it's Esau and Jacob. There is an invitation for us to take this story, to look at the ingredients of reconciliation and and ask ourselves, how are we living this scripture out in our day-to-day parlance? How many of our disappointments and misleadings and feelings and bitterness and lack of forgiveness in the body of Christ will disappear if we think about an, our enemy as somebody that we'll spend eternity with. The person you think in the church you disagree with, imagine spending eternity. I believe I'll rather reconcile than wait for eternity. The invitation is clear. And that is why Jesus says in Matthew 5.22, But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in the danger of the council. But whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. There is a call for us church to have an imagination beyond what we can see if we are to be a people that seek to model reconciliation. Jesus' call invites us to see the capacity to imagine ourselves in a web of relationship that includes even the people we'll disagree with. Jesus' call invites us to, to have the ability to embrace complexity without even getting caught in the schisms of the complexity. Jesus' invitation is for us to commit to a creative act of peace building because we have to think outside the box. We have to think, I want to sound, maybe sometimes people call me that I get a little bit too Pollyannish. By Polia, I'm so optimistic, I'm so hopeful that whatever the brokenness, I have confidence that God who calls us is faithful. And this God who calls us is not only faithful, but he will do what he promised he will do. He will restore all the years that has been broken. And I believe that as a church, in the seasons that we are in, there is a deeper call to be intentional about reconciliation. We cannot remain where we are. We cannot say it is okay to sit in when there's an opportunity for us to build this muscle of reconciliation. Friends, the invitation is loud and clear. The pray, My prayer for us as a church is that we will model to the world what reconciliation is. And we're not doing it because we want to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look at us. But we are doing it because we love God so much Because God wants to do greater things in and through our brokenness. Let us pray. God, the story of Esau and Jacob. When we think about it, it's difficult for us to even imagine. But that story models for us what it means to live out a life of reconciliation. I pray, oh God, that as your church, that we will truly model. We ask that you break every barrier, every wall that will just stand in the way of being true ambassadors. And I pray for your grace. As we do this, it is messy, but it is doable. Because you say all things are possible to them that believe. We believe, Lord, for we ask all this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.